getting a lot of new listeners over the last week. So I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Shift Orion, and I'm the millennial Mr. Rogers, James Baldwin energy you didn't even know you needed in your life. Welcome to my program. Welcome to my living room. Welcome to my couch. Meet my neighbors. Maybe there's something like yours. If they're not, I'd love to know more about your neighbors. Anyway, my guest in this episode is Larry Lyons. Larry and I connected on social media a while back, and we started talking after I noticed the types of things that Larry liked and commented on on my post, on my meme lord page. He was extremely supportive when Good Morning Mayberry first got started. He was one of our first patrons on Patreon. He has given wonderful feedback. So I reached out to him to see if he was interested in being on an episode. And when we started exploring what we could talk about, he told me that he's a literature expert. So we had a little meeting before this episode and came up with what I thought was, and frankly, it still is a great agenda. I thought the things Larry wanted to talk about fit in with an idea that I was already conceiving of, Cancel Culture Club. And so I said, let's name the episode that and he was down then we ended up having to bump our recording session by a week and in the meantime he sent me a youtube link to a song called earth is ghetto and the next day on january 12th 2021 we recorded this this is larry lyons reporting uh today at the scene we have carnage in america we sure do but let's not fuck around too much and stress out about it uh how are you today? I'm good. I've um, I've had an interesting day because with like my actual work, I've gotten used to the lull, like the holiday lull. And like now people are coming back to work and requesting stuff of me. I'm like, oh, I am employed. I forgot because like, you know, I'm home all the time. Ah. But yes, people actually need things and require me to do work. So catching up on that. What do you do? Um, so I act as marketing and communications strategist for a uh, perinatal health consortium. So essentially, we have like 18 member hospitals in central Jersey. And uh, we're one of three state-funded consortium that help to improve birth outcomes for mothers and families in the region. Well, that's so did you know that I'm I'm not actively I don't I don't offer this service, but I'm a birth worker. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I've been at not not too many births, but it's it's something I'm good at and have been drawn into a bit. Uh, I imagine it'll come up again in my life. Now that you say it, it doesn't surprise me at all. Mm, I'm mm -hmm. hearing um, how. Uh, lovingly you speak of your relationship with uh, children and young folks. Uh, I'm not surprised that you're bringing them into this world. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for noticing me. <laughs> That's the second time in the last hour I've used that phrase. I'm having a good day, I guess. <laughs> yes. Folks are taking note. Yeah. Cool. That's what's up. Well, great. That's good that you're, that you're getting utilized again. That's definitely an essential service. Yeah, I mean, I, because I, I do the marketing and communications piece, it often feels like, you know, I'm not saving any lives necessarily. But um, I guess, you know, if you zoom out in a kind of macro way, um, I am disseminating some timely messages to folks that really need it. 
Yeah, I am. I am often zoomed out in my perspective of things. That's uh, that's where I like to reside as much as possible. Marketing is it, that's an important part of a business. I'm learning more and more. Certainly in healthcare, like state funded stuff, it's not a paradigm people really bring to that work, and it's really one of the more important places because if I'm you know having some trouble with my perinatal care and I need you know, some more resources, you know, what's more important than that, right? Like, (laughs) that's more important than like, oh, do you like dill flavored chips or Pringles, right? But yeah, that's what we think about when we think of marketing, more of the, you know, consumer products and less of the things that actually get us through the day. We have a general misconception about a lot of things. People don't envision in their minds what it is we're actually doing a lot, which is weird because we can all see it with our eyes, but we walk away with different interpretations of things like what market means or what mm-hmm. what market is about what it's for. There's a very heavy tilt towards commercialism, things that involve fiat currency, capitalism driven kinds of, I don't know how, I don't, I'm not sure why, because it's, it's almost impossible for me to identify exactly what segregates it, makes it so special from like, just, you know, what you'd get in a marketplace, which is community shopping. And so you get other things there too. You get uh, resources and connection. We do so much digitally that there's been a disconnection in the processes that we have to employ for our day to day. A whole breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. That could be a whole other episode, (laughs) but I mean, we, we are going to talk about a different type of marketing today. We're talking about cancel culture, which is like anti-marketing, (laughs) <laughs> you know, something, something like that. Publicity, public communication. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just give the floor to you. Oh, well, I will happily take the floor. So I'm kind of tossing back and forth between a couple of things that we've chatted about casually, because, you know, in- initially I wanted to really unpack a particular cultural phenomenon that is Britney Spears's Slave for You. Mm-hmm. And um, the way that uh, cancel culture should have been born a little earlier so we could catch how problematic it was. But I actually, in thinking about how to prepare for today, thought it might be more useful to center some black women who are doing dope shit rather than centering a white woman who failed miserably at hijacking a black woman's shit. I love this because I'm sitting here with an agenda and <laughs> we're going to just chuck it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can. I will follow you anywhere. That's <laughs> let's just start there. Yeah, okay. I'll, I will keep the contours of the previous agenda in mind, but I think that this is going to be a fruitful way for us to start. Oh, I trust you. <laughs> here we go. So earth is ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, you yes. Have- So there's this viral sensation going on right now by a singer-songwriter by the name of Nikki Aaliyah. I think that's how it's pronounced. And the rumor has it is that she's actually from Newark, where I currently reside. So a little connection there. But she's put out this really captivating uh, YouTube video singing a song about how she wants to be transported from Earth. And I thought that... If we're looking at cancel culture, (laughs) it's great to look at moments where we're able to cancel superstructures rather Mm. than individual. 
And <laughs> this song is about just that, um, canceling Earth and all of its perils. I love it. Yes. So to, I love it. To rewind just a bit, back in, it must have been late November of 2020, TikTok user by the name of Flossie Baby, a young Black woman, she uses this alien filter and then offers this confessional style kind of Yelp review uh, detailing her vacation to Earth. And so it's kind of like in one of these Valley Girl voices, if, uh, imagine Karen's in outer space. So basically um, the skit, the scenario is, oh, my girlfriend and I wanted to go on a vacation and we've been everywhere. And she said, do you want to go to Earth? And I'm like, Earth, like backwater Earth. And so it's kind of like this um, elitist view that the alien community rightfully takes when it's regarding the Earth. And it's uh, it's justified by all the things that she suffers through on her trip. And so she's just like, oh, you know, the people there, it was so dirty. And I've visited other planets. Venus and Mars had very fine people, but it was just disgusting. Wow. And um, and and so it, it's this kind of playful um, take on how problematic Earth is um, from kind of a universal point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's also doing some um, really great work and in, in using coded language. Like this, this um, fine people language is obviously a nod to um, August, uh, August of 2017 in Charlottesville, where the president says there's fine people on both sides. So we've taken up that problematic idiom and then reversed the lens so that it's like a black woman dressed as an alien reviewing the earth. <laughs> and so maybe um, two months later is when um, Nikki Aaliyah posts Earth is Ghetto. And so she explic- explicitly states that it's for anyone who's sick of the earth, which all of us are after, you know, being quarantined and, and subjected to calamity after biblical plague. Yo, yes. And importantly, like Nikki Aaliyah is a black woman and she's referential to Flossie Baby, who's also a black woman saying, I saw this and this is what made me write this song. And so there's this acknowledgement that like, I'm not trying to co-opt anyone else's neologism or their point of view. Like, you know, as a black woman, I'm acknowledging this other black female creator in this space, which doesn't happen often enough for, for black women. So that's an important turn. But I, I I wish I could kind of play excerpts right now because um, I'm not sure how best to unpack the lyrics. Read them. You have them. Yes. 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 Read them. And there will be links uh, or embedded whatevers or. Yeah. All right. So it starts with Earth is ghetto. And, and uh, just so you know, just so you can picture it, it's it's her in kind of a, a grainy video. It's not, you know, high production quality. It's her um, strumming this out or, or banging this out on her keyboard. Very kind of intimate, not expecting it to be a viral sensation. But she says, Earth is ghetto. I want to leave. Can you beam me up? I'm out on the street by the corner store. You know, the one on 15th. Got a bright shirt on, so I'm easy to see. Um, and the bop is very soulful. It sounds like something that, you know, like Betty Wright could have sung back in the day or maybe CeeLo more recently. I'll sing it a little bit. You got it? I get, yeah. yeah. It's ghetto and I want to leave. Hey. I, I can't remember the lyrics, but that's the cadence. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about um, CeeLo Green's uh, Fool for You, that kind of uh, the rock that that had, uh, it's a similar pace 
in a similar kind of sonic precedent in terms of its relationship to soul. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's your Captain Shift in edit mode. After the recording, I reached out to Nikki Aaliyah and asked her if we could include the song in the episode, and she said yes. So we're going to play a few seconds of it now and the whole song at the end. Earth is ghetto, I want to leave, can you beam me up? I'm out on the street by the corner store, you know the one on 15th. Got a bright shirt on so I'm easy to see. I've been down here stranded indefinitely. I can't reach my planet, but I need to leave. But in this first stanza, we see her identifying that she lives within an urban space. Um, I'm out on the street, I'm by the corner store, or, you know, like the, the bodegas that are the trademark of urban life. Um, well, the one on 15th, so it's numbered streets. If you're from, you know, like Newark or New York or Philly or one of those areas, you know that the number streets invoke a particular part of the hood rather than just urban life broadly. And so she has a bright shirt on, she's easy to see, and she's uh, stranded indefinitely saying that she can't reach her planet, but she needs to leave because uh, she can't believe how people are treating each other. It's hard to conceive. And it's it's in that moment where she says, I can't reach my planet, but I need to leave, that we launch into the kind of Afrofuturism that I'm excited to unpack here. Mm. Um, because like as a body of, of thought or kind of like a cultural position, Afrofuturism is a, is a kind of tool that, that we can use to imagine different um, ways for us to exist in the present and future. Um, so our Afrofuturism is always kind of a critique of a prevailing social system in the place uh, that Black folks fit within it. And so, I mean, Earth is Ghetto is one such articulation saying that there are there must be other possibilities for uh, black folks who exist with conscience and ethics and empathy, because when when I look at what I see here, I, I, I disidentify with it so powerfully that I'm left longing for another planet that I've never seen. Mm. Um, which sounds so black. Right. Because like that is what slavery has done. Right. It makes us. Um, it has given us a cultural position um, from which we can view the perils of the country and say, you know, the problems that we perceive in this country are not necessarily of our making, but we are no less kind of impacted, if not trapped by them. Mm. And this song is is a way of responding to that. And so I feel like in the Afro futurist tradition, there's this use of, or, or there's uh the concept of Sankofa, which is just mindfully turning back to the past so that you can gain direction for how to move in the present and future mm. uh, in order to make positive progress. And I do think that in this uh, particular song, that that technology or that, that element of the past is soul itself, the genre of soul. Mm. Because what's happening here is that she's, activating it, almost weaponizing it, like as this beacon that can reach from earth and communicate successfully with beings that uh, manage to, to uh, exceed, supersede the kind of empathy and ethics that we see here on earth. Mm -hmm. 
You just use the word technology in a real uh, particular way. And I would like I would like to just circle around that word for a minute and have you talk some more about it, if you will. Sure. So as it applies to Afrofuturism, Afrofuturistic projects kind of analyze how technology reflects or intersects with our politics, our aesthetics. And it's, I guess technology is a useful term because it's not just a strategy, it's a matrix of relationality, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That's why more of a a matrix of relationality uh, rather than just a a simple, straightforward, linear strategy. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I I feel like that's that's how soul music is deployed as a as a as a technology Um, and and, and a technology that is almost uh, sacred in in its potentiality. It can reach beyond the earth and um, beam us back to the kind of ancestral homes that exist beyond uh, the, the terrestrial worlds we know. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's funny. I'm seeing, it's like, like in the, the context of this topic, it's like I see different people in my audience and uh, there's some people, like there's a, there's a gap for some people, there's different distances in like their their ability to understand exactly what we're talking about right now. Some people are totally vibing with it, and some people are just like, "This sounds really interesting, but what? Wait, what? You know, like, and that's okay. And we're gonna move along. Everyone's gonna just deal with that vibe right now. I'm just I'm gonna comment on it, address it, because uh, I kn- I know sort of who's here. It's a, it's the uh, the audience is growing rapidly. Um, but yeah, let's move back into let's move back into what you have to say. I'm I'm so deeply enjoying this. Yeah, and I mean uh, I'm going to get granular because I've been thinking through this. Um, I make no apologies for that. But oh, uh, what I will say is um, there are more accessible conversations <laughs> about this. I, I feel like folks often gesture toward Black Panther when they're talking about Afrofuturism because it's they sure do. It's uh you know easier to wrap your mind around it because so many of us consumed it kind of through the mass media at the same time. So, mm. or if you're familiar with any of Janelle Monae's work, namely like not just her music, but more so her music videos and the inserts for her physical albums, which are almost themselves a relic of bygone times. Hmm. But the way that she thinks about the android and the techno colonization of the human body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is something I'm always willing to unpack. The ways that Janelle anticipates and embraces the erosion of the boundaries between the human body and technology is a kind of form of Afrofuturism unto itself. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be another episode. We'll do Janelle Monet sometime. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I guess to, to turn um, back to the question of uh, how us abandoning the earth gets us to cancel culture, <laughs> I, I want to point to one of the problems that's raised by this this kind of escapism. I feel like it's like for colored girls who have considered space travel when like vigilance and martyrdom is fucking exhausting. Mm. Um, and, and the question of whether it is ethical 
to require folks who suffer the most under kind of predatory capitalism and Western hegemony to also be present to resolve those problems and, and not, you know, engage any kind of escapism in how they manage that. And so there's like a body of thought um, that some might call black nihilism um, that argues that like that's fundamentally violent to our bodies and our psyches that, you know, uh, like I said earlier, like that's, that problem is not of our own making and that we would be better served if we found ways to free ourselves from that logic, the logic that says because we are here now, we are as obligated to search for solutions as folks in the West who created this problem to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, a writer by the name of our thinker, uh, Calvin Warren, who wrote Black Nihilism and the Politics of Hope. And I think, you know, coming out of the Obama era and all of us like reveling at the possibility of hope, um, it's, it's this other way of understanding the, the, the underbelly of hope and, and how taxing um, it, it can be to sustain hope in the face of overwhelming structural violence. Mm. Yeah. And so I'm interested in this song um, and, and whether it's gesturing toward an escapism um, that's more than just uh, junk food for us, that's more than just a dalliance, but it's really a way to activate the, the soul music tradition to escape some of the, the escape as, as a mode of self-preservation that, uh, that is our birthright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So all that to say, Black nihilism has, versus uh, kind of Afrofuturism has given us the ability, the right to cancel this planet altogether. To, uh, mm. <laughs> to take, you know, wholesale stock of its many problems and oversights and say that is y'all's to deal with being me up i'm imagining a new world for people that look like me hmm yeah and that actually there's a comment that's come up a couple times on a couple episodes the difference between fighting and dancing is an idea and you use the term versus you said uh afrofuturism versus Black nihilism. I feel like there's a lot of dancing going on with the with the verses there. Um, lately, I'm I'm just seeing so much, so much truth, so much just like over it, like the actual beam me up. So I'm watching people do it. I feel like in real life, like mm. with the things coming out of their mouths, with the ways that they're talking and what they're demanding for themselves, what they're not willing to entertain uh, or like wait to see how the narrative plays out around certain things. There's a, there's a lot of truth coming out of people quickly. It's been getting faster. There's been more of it. Is that just me? Is that, is that something you've noticed? No, I feel like as the pressure cooker increases in kind of temperature, mm-hmm. there are going to be more outpourings in response. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, we're all just, grasping for viable ways to maintain and respond to 
a, a myriad of traumatic elements, you know? Um, and, and so I don't, I don't know that we need to see the multiplicity of ideas as a comp, as a competition, just, you know, no. variety of, of viable ways of being. It's, it's a, it's a consortium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, is that the word? Is that what I want? I think that's the one that'll sure. do. Yeah. We're working in orchestration as far as I vibe. I don't know. I'm down to be argued with about that one, but, uh, I've just seen a lot of synergy lately. People, people harmonizing. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, how does that, uh, work in the face of the rise of cancel culture, because that seems to be such a, um, the community canceling individuals one by one so that there's this, um, almost mob mentality collectivity that, um, we're using to extinguish individual kind of problematic actors. And Uh, people give a lot of shit. I see like shit talking about cancel culture all the time. And it, Really, to me, I don't understand because it's just like boundaries and consensus mm-hmm. together. Like, it, and all, it's like, I'm not sure where the notion that certain celebrities have to be consumed by everybody even came from at all. But these people don't deserve our attention, even if they're super fucking famous. Like, they don't, that we don't have to do that at all. So, canceling somebody is just not. You know, also people can be uncanceled, like the the narrative around it's really dramatic. And that always seems to be the case with people who are pretending to be oppressed. They have to like, they don't know how to scale. I mean, they have to overact it no matter what. So they, they there's, I don't know that there could be a lesser amount of it that would actually be less annoying, but it's, it's certainly over the top. They act like they're being harmed in some fashion. These people don't lose their mansions. They don't. Nothing happens to <laughs> nothing happens to cancel people, really. We accidentally cancel people like Alvin from the Cosby show. We didn't cancel Bill Cosby, but poor Alvin. What's it, what's his name even? I forget. And it was, shot, you know, working at the at the store and everybody made fun of him and we uncanceled him. It's not fatal, but we usually do it accidentally on the wrong people when it actually does something problematic. It is unwieldy, right? <laughs> um, yeah. As mob control, our, our consensus can often get. Yeah, but I hear I hear you saying that there's something redemptive in it as well. It's empowerment. Yeah, it's a it's a. It, I mean, our attention is the most valuable thing that we have. I don't. I don't. If I'm hate watching something, it's for study. It's for like a purpose. You know, like I don't just like open a tap into my mind to let nonsense people's words into my head at at willy-nilly just because they're on certain channels or come from certain places so when uh usually when someone's being canceled uh often i don't know who they are i actually looked up a list of people who were canceled in 2020 and i knew like four out of the 25 names or something like that at all like hadn't even heard of the rest uh and so you know as far as i'm concerned there's a lot of people that are already canceled just because i don't even know about it like i don't uh you know besides that if there's if there's a reason for somebody to be put on blast so that other people know what they're, what they're consuming, uh, or at least who made it, you know, like, it's like, 
if well, I'm eating, if I'm eating certain meals or if I'm eating a meal, there's like certain types of things that I could not like about a person that I'm going to blow off, but I'm probably going to be like, not so keen on eating a meal after I find out that someone's like done something horrific to a child or so, you know what I mean? Like it was made by somebody who did some like actually awful thing. I'd like to know about it. And I feel the same way about media that I'm consuming. Yeah. And it does strike me that um, some of the central misunderstandings and misapplications of cancel culture uh, hinge upon a fundamental either ignorance or perhaps it's a willful ignorance or uh, illiteracy around just media generally. Like Mm -hmm. if a person owns Breitbart, for example, like he can't be canceled, right? Like if, if you can, if you have 24 hour access to the news media to put out whatever story you want to being censored on Twitter is not cancellation, right? Like, yes. Um, and, and so we cancel individuals with little, um, kind of comparison across the board of what their remaining access to you know, kind of platforms and influence looks mm. like. Mm. And I think that's the real problem because, you know, people of color are canceled more readily but have much less redress, right? There right. are, there's, you know, a little less money and, and fewer uh, communications folks and PR folks, uh, the Olivia Pope's working shit out, um, the browner you get. And so <laughs> I think that there are greater penalties uh, emerging, and I think I think that folks are seeing this um, for marginal folks. And yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I've been deplatformed for years. Facebook kicked me off. I mean, these are it's people don't recognize again. It's that thing where people don't recognize where we are and what we're, what spaces we're in, what the environment is. I referenced the market earlier and how it's kind of defined differently, different ways for different people. But like uh, the way social media platforms have taken over spaces. Uh, I think actually after sort of the last few months of things, people are kind of getting a little more serious when I talk to them about like, no, it's been a big deal that I've been cut out of Facebook and I've been like slamming, slamming my fist against the wall. Like y'all, can you like send a message in there about this and that for me or whatever? Like I really am having a hard time getting business traction. I think that all the tools are being put behind that wall. I can't get in. I didn't realize this was going to be such a big deal when they stopped me from coming in in the first place. And literally just like created an obstacle between me and, and community. Like it, it's so weird. Um, but yeah, I, I've uh, been quietly canceled as a black queer mystic artist, uh, radical table flipping fuck Zuckerberg. Uh, you know, what the hell is this goddamn country? And like probably the greater world for the most part, or is that just the influence that I have? Is that propaganda that I think everybody's this greedy and awful and (laughs) I don't know. Um, You know, also, you know, people are, people are wonderful. I'm finding a lot of healing, great people. I was just talking about the harmonics and all that. So just, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, I have been deplatformed. I feel like I would have gotten a lot more traction a lot faster. I'd have more traction and, and be moving faster now with this podcast if I had access to Facebook, certainly. And even though I have uh, someone running a Facebook page and tried to start a store, uh, they blocked me from putting anything. We can't. Uh, we can't have a market 
place presence uh, and can't sell anything in their little mall where a lot of, I mean, everybody's selling through there. I think, yeah. I think Best Buy's got products selling through there, uh, you know, like everybody from like your cousin's Etsy store to like, tar- is Target on there? I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. Cause I can't see it, but I'm guessing based on how I saw it work when I set it all up for hours and then found out that I was not welcome there because I violated uh, some community standards that they did not inform me of, even though the only designs we have up are the Good Morning Mayberry logo with the flaming microphone and the text and uh, a design that says marginalized centrists. And that is all. Like, I can't imagine what about that violates community guidelines to the point that I'm not welcome to sell my wares there. Yeah. I get it that it's charged. Like I get it that it's charged. Like it's a little charge that they won't let me access like messages from my family. Like I can't remember if my dad who died in, in uh, what 2007, uh, I can't remember if he actually had a Facebook account or if we just had a memorial page up for him kind of things. Like I can't, I can't get in there to access some stuff. It's a little bit important. So yeah, cancel culture and uh, the marginalized people are kind of close to the edge maybe is why it's easy to cancel us Uh, as opposed to, as you were saying, people who have control over a lot of outlets like, oh, say, Facebook profiles. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the narratives are already in place that kind of, discredit us and illegitimize our, our beings and our work. So I think cancellation is, you know, much easier where it's already half done. Hmm. Which I think is why folks um, bristled so much at the, um, the Bill Cosby cancellation hmm. and, and um, the R. Kelly cancellation, because it, it seemed as if there were so many powerful white men um, that were due to be canceled first and more powerfully, um, but that, you know, didn't seem to be the way that it worked out. And I want to be very clear, um, <laughs> both of those men deserved at least cancellation. Um, but I, I, it's not lost on me that the Black community was wise enough to know that there was a discrepancy with how it was experienced uh, for those two figures versus, you know, a Matt Lauer or a Harvey uh, Weinstein. Sure. I, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, I've, I've felt a lot of ways about that. And one thing that I've considered is like the disproportionate access to their personal lives that Mm -hmm. we had the entire time, because Mm -hmm. I remember being a teenager and learning about, Aaliyah's marriage to R. Kelly yes. and that like my, my family, all, all these, like, you know, we were, we were towards the end of our being, uh, disillusioned about being Puritan. I, there was something that happened one year when I was like 13 or 14, the cable company changed and my, my parents were able to block MTV Ooh. for years and then suddenly it became available. So new information became available and I remember it becoming a topic that came up, but did not go the direction I anticipated that kind of content being processed by my parents. It was all just kind of like shrugged off. Mm. Um, But as far as the, 
It's, uh, most of the monolithic, it's there's j- there's like a there's several layers of like firewall access as far as like the propaganda detailing that's just normalized. I guess mm. does that make sense? Yeah. Like I just expected to be able to know that kind of thing about certain people and to not know that kind of thing about other kinds of people. Like they mm-hmm. just, and so I felt like when the stories were being run through the public's discernment filters, they had a personal attachment in a different way, even though they've been far more deeply influenced by Harvey Weinstein's work. Right, right. Right. You know, like it's like we're aware to some degree, but there's only the shit that they'd be putting the Weinstein company on the front of it that people are really, really aware of. They had hands in so much like um, so, you know, it's almost like they they threw they keep they keep people accessible to us. They keep this low hanging fruit, this mm-hmm. low hanging strange fruit uh, so that we get exhausted on our way to reaching all of them, we, we, you know, there's so many, we only have so much time and they, since they're up top, they're able to do things to keep us distracted, throw shit down on our heads and keep us busy while we're working on the ones below them. Uh, and then lo, lo and behold, who know? I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, what's up with those guys now? I actually don't know what's happened with Weinstein. I looked away. That's an issue with cancel culture too. Uh, with the way it is, I'm about the cancel culture club where we have to have standards to the way we cancel people. This is what I'm about to initiate. I've got designs. We're going to have shirts and shit. You can have a fanny pack cancel culture club. Yes. I will. Yes. That's what's up. People will know that you have your shit together and that you're using discernment. Sometimes we cancel shit so hard that we don't keep up on what the hell is going on with it. And there's so much going on. It's, it's impossible to really you know, field it all anyway, but, uh, so I want to pull at that thread of oversaturation because I do wonder yeah. whether there's a connection between, um, kind of exhibition culture and cancel culture. I, um, in my dissertation start to unpack the way that Zora Neale Hurston as an anthropologist is, kind of responding to and writing within this culture, like this global um, kind of world's fair culture of like human zoos and cultural exposition Mm. Um, during, you know, at that time or, you know, at the turn of the century um, and, and through the time that Zora was publishing, um, you know, we see, you know, the hot and hot Venus, you know, exhibited, we see, this social science and, you know, museums crafting these experiences for folks who have paid an admission to come and gawk at the ways that the little pygmies live or Mm. the ways that the African, the native African prepares their food. And so there's all of these kind of Disneyized recapitulations of what life looks like at a glance from the outside looking in. And it's, I mean, there's all of these problems with that exhibition culture, but I think one of the things that comes out of it is our belief that the more 
And the longer we observe something, the closer to it we get, the more we understand it Mm. and the more ownership of it we can boast. Mm. And I think that over the course of the 20th century, that just is amplified and amplified exponentially uh, until the point that we don't need to leave our homes to be patrons of these human zoos. We, you know, we, we do it on every smart device nearly every second of the day. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But they're still problematic in the ways that they tokenize cultures and, and oversimplify cultures, yeah. cultures like that violence is still done to them, except because we're not paying admissions to a world's fair or to a museum, we feel less implicated in the, the capitalist project. That's the underpinning of it all. Yeah. So is cancel like I, I'm, I'm playing with the formulation is, is cancel culture kind of the new way of buying a ticket to that world's fair? Is it a new way to get up close and personal and have your presence impact this avatar that's used to structure life for the rest of us? Hmm. Say that a different way. Sure. (laughs) I I feel like one of the reasons um, we are so contentious about who gets to remain in our little bubble and who is um, exiled and canceled is that we interact less with one another and with the physical world. And so we rely on virtual worlds that constitute, you know, what is real. And cancel culture says this avatar is no longer real. Um, Mm. This, this father figure that served you through the eighties and the nineties in his, you know, colorful sweaters (laughs) <laughs> is canceled. He's he's no longer a fixture in in your landscape. And just like in like, in, I'm not into gaming, so excuse if I uh, apply this terribly. But like in the Sims are in like in like Geo Cities back in the day, like where, where we're all kind of building this virtual community together. Cancel culture is is the wrecking ball that is dismantling that. That, that culture that we're building virtually together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I would say willy-nilly arbitrary cancellation. Okay. And the, I guess there's a culture around it. It just looks so cultureless, like how whiteness seems to have no culture, like the way that it's the way the discourse is happening on the internet. That so yes. Um, and, and it shows up so many places in so many ways. Cause I, I've been, I've been banned and I've been blocked a bunch of times over weird things that I'm like, really, that's when you're going to block me white woman right now. When I'm saying that, that's when you look away, you know, and I've used the term avatar mm. to describe myself more over the last year than I, 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 I feel like I'm more, more that than not. Just because, you know, we are sort of how we're treated. And maybe I noticed that more because of the layers of dehumanization that have sort of happened in the ways that that I've experienced my particular life. Uh, You know, you tend to not notice things when you um, when you get a need met consistently. You don't really notice the depths that that need carves out of you when you don't have the need get met. 
so yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's about an avatar. It's about their interpretation of a superficial. Uh, you know, it's it's like a it's like an array of features that they're consuming, and they'll get to a certain depth of that database and and decide they don't want to know it in entirety and just disconnect. Well, it really raises some like deep ontological questions for me. What um what does it mean? What is being, right? Like mm. how much of our being can be erased by being canceled, right? Um because I think that's different generationally. Like the the way that I perceive myself today, the through uh, what's refracted in the eyes of those around me, I think it's completely different than what my parents or grandparents um, experienced. Yeah, I mean, our our grandparents, they like cancellation for some of them. My my grandfather got run out of Texas by the KKK. It'll start you a new life, kind of shit. In in certain circumstances, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I feel like uh, another form of cancellation was when younger women would um, find themselves with child and then be kind of banished to the south um, until you know until they had their child and could return back to you know respectability in the north. Um, I think that that's a precedent to the kind of cancel culture we see today where the politics of respectability deem you not suitable um, to be seen. Mm. And, but that, that, that's geographically specific. You can be seen south of the Mason-Dixon, right? But you can't be seen north of Philly, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but I, the parameters are shifting is what I'm saying. Like, in terms of like the the spectrum of black ontological positions, um, there's new shit on the horizon. Mm. And I think that we can turn to culture to see where that's taking us. I think we always can. I think we always can. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see some uh I'd like to see some more mindfulness generally in my in my society in the people around me. <laughs> so yeah, cause ca- cancellation is powerful. Like our attention mm-hmm. is what's powerful. It's the, it's the vacuum of attention that we're referring to when we talk about cancellation. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just like, you know, it's just, it's like one of the, it's the kind of thing where, you know, your attention is like the, the barrel of the thing you're looking down, but there's back blow and backfire and like a whole other element of how uh i guess it's like uh tangential functions of of what we bring to situations that we interact with Mm. like we we leave impacts everywhere that we do everything that we do uh or um I, sometimes I guess I'm trying to figure out how to describe the thing of like people not paying attention in places that really need it to be there mm-hmm. in some fashion. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's why we need kind of 
thinker agitators like you to to steer the conversation because i do i do think that um moving away from canceling individuals and in imagining ourselves uh, uh, capable of of canceling or starting to dismantle some of these superstructures is the right way to go and so, you know, some of the tools exist for us to do that within the culture, but, you know, we, we kind of got to organize. I think that, I think that, I think that it's faith that's a, a first step. Like one thing I'm noticing, definitely, I think a lot of people are acting out of uh, like a lack of faith in community, a lack of faith in like what we are capable of. Mm-hmm. And like trusting that there's other smart, fed up motherfuckers running around just like, what, what can I do? What do I do? And then figuring it out sometimes. And then sometimes more and more and more. And from there, it's just like things organize, like ordering chaos or complimentary is that versus thing where are they dancing or fighting? both and in different circumstances at all times. And then like, I don't know. It's just, I've, I've got a, I've got redefinitions for a number of words and uh, God, I have a specific distinguished definition for that. I've brought to people of all different kinds of religions and spiritual, you know, preferences or, or, aversions uh and that's the great organizing dynamic mm-hmm. it universally so far has worked i've had nobody uh push back on that and it's opened up some really interesting conversations with people who've gotten to a point where they have like a really strong concept of god and they want to do the like do you believe in god what does god mean to you when i throw that out uh we get somewhere <laughs> we just move right on past it uh, cause it makes sense. And, uh, that's us. We're like deeply a part of that in a real important sentient fashion. And the trippiest part is not everybody has to give a shit about it or think about it, or, uh, they can like actively defy believing in it and still play a part in it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen too much, I've seen too much to genuinely hope for while also seeing all the things that I was disillusioned about hoping for fall away, like having my heart broken over and over again. And then having these things that is like, Oh shit, that's genuine. Oh shit. That's genuine. Oh my God. There's genuine shit everywhere. Uh, I just can't help but believe in it. And so now I'm just like running around like fucking, Johnny Apple seeding people's hearts, activating people as quickly as I can. Like, wait, no, just look, 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 look. You can see it too. Do you see it? It's right here. Like you're telling yourself old stories and you're, you're overwhelming yourself mentally to not focus on it, but it's literally right in front of you right now. Now think back to earlier today or yesterday. Like, where did you see it in the darkest of times? Where did you see hope when things were the scariest and weirdest? Where were the little, little bits of it focus that's bigger than it looks, isn't it? Like, Maybe not. Maybe it's, maybe it's not, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's, maybe it's me and just a few people around me that so far I haven't, I haven't run into anybody that's like really giving me any pushback on that shit. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think, I think, uh, I think we're doing okay. I don't, it's weird to say it. I think we're doing all, is it weird? Does it sound weird to hear? The world is, is on fire. So yes. (laughs) I mean, is it, does it sound untrue? Yeah. I I think it's always a matter of perspective. Yeah. Um, but I, I will hold in this conversation um, that I, I will hold the suspicion of hope. Um, you have said on your program that you are hopeful that like white folks can get it together. God, I hope. Yeah. And like, I understand the social function of that hope, but I also understand how it is uh, spiritually unhealthy for black, for some black folks to maintain that all of the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's funny because, um, I mean, I guess it's not fun. Nothing's really funny these days. I'm laughing a lot, but I'm like, man, that sucks. Like just so many, so many things I'm laughing about. I just hate. Um, but yeah, I just see people like getting, getting more defensive of their, of their, uh, of their narrative and their right to just be mad and not, be pulled around in different directions, be placated with, you know, whatever nonsense. I don't know. I could just be in all the right holes on the internet. I could just be in all the right places. Maybe the internet knows that's what I want to hear. And it's generated fake people to throw them at me and keep me from canceling everything around me. Keep me from canceling earth. It's my Soma. Yes. It's a self-propelling echo chamber. Yeah. No, I do. I do. I think that I've canceled Earth already, though. I th- I hit a point a long time ago where I was like, "This is not working for me. I need to make a whole new thing." Listen, baby, if you have succeeded in canceling Earth and also holding out hope for white folks, you are are managing better than most of us. I feel like I might be there. Okay. I feel like that sounds true when you say it. <laughs> well, to to the white folks listening, please know I I I, I reserve some hope for you. Uh, if, <laughs> Not all the time. And I know that I'm not spiritually obligated to. That's all. No, you are not. And I'm so glad uh, that we've dragged them along for like, you know, it's just, that's what I was noting earlier. I didn't want to be like, hey, white people, are you all right? But like, I, was g- <laughs> I wanted to give some context. Keep along, everyone. You're going to be OK. We'll get all the way through this episode. Uh- <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. I don't know. What else? Anything else? I started this conversation with the Earth is Ghetto to gesture toward Black women creators giving us ways to to work through our shit broadly, um, to activate old cultural forms as technologies for liberation. And so I thought that that song used soul music in that way, but that's not the only resource we have available to us. There's a whole bunch of vibranium and I, uh, there's a bunch of Black women creators who deserve to be acknowledged for um, laying those at our feet so powerfully in a time where we need them so desperately. Mm-hmm. And so there are another a number of other places in the culture that I see that happening uh, that you and I discussed privately, like the um, Watchmen series. Right. You know, we get uh, some of that. Uh, certainly, Lovecraft Country, some mm-hmm. of the Afrofuturist. Um, elements that that we mention um you know throughout janelle monet's stuff erica badu so in all of these instances um 
folks who are pushed to the margins um, due to gender identity or sexual identity or racial identity or what have you um, are, you know, showing us the tools. Uh, the question is, you know, what will we do with them? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Leave Earth. Leave Earth. Leave Earth. <laughs> this shit is ghetto. We out. Gotta go. <laughs> cool, man. Good times. This is great. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to unpacking more things in the future. I'm so glad that you took the agenda in such a different direction. I'm looking over this and I'm like, man, we were about to do that to them. Well, listen, Br- Brittany Lynn Spears, whatever her name is, <laughs> we're, we're coming back to you. We, we will. Distract us from these wonderful black women creators that, you know, deserve to be acknowledged. But, but we are coming back to how problematic slave for you is and how Pharrell Williams is connected to uh, Earth is Ghetto and slave for you. Uh, wow. Just wow. Once again, I really want to thank Larry for the second life-changing media recommendation that he has offered to me. I have to say, it's been a real interesting thing to be working on this project and simultaneously watching Nikki Aaliyah's Instagram go from like 6,000 followers a couple days after Larry sent me the first video and in a week bumping up to about 50,000 followers. That was amazing. When I found her on Twitter, I was looking at her follower count and I was just like, oh my goodness. 626, 627, 628, 629. Over like 15 seconds, I just watched it tick like a clock. It was phenomenal. And I just, I was thinking, I don't, I don't think she realized when she was calling out her song in her room that so many of us were going to hear it and just come back with like, sis, we want to come with you. Uh, some things that I want to say. First of all, welcome to the revolution. You have been aboard for quite some time. Now, the revolution is a complex superstructure. During this episode, we have time traveled to before the recordings of the most recent bonus episodes asking for a planet in labor parts one and two. The revolution can pinch wormholes. It can take a bird's eye view. It can shrink down teeny tiny and take fantastic voyages all into the complex interweavings of dynamic situations. The revolution is very keen for surveying the tapestry of humanity's activity. And on my quadrant of the revolution, what we do a lot is examine our relationship to words and situations. Now, a couple things that I wanna say. While it's not black people's job to save anyone and the magical Negro trope is a bullshit concept, I am literally living my best life full time in my laboratory of mystical sciences, doing all of my magic all of the time. I also want to talk about memes just for a hot minute. I want to talk about memes and how much memes have served us in this time as a technology to show us how many of us are vibing, how many of us are harmonic, and how many of us are dissonant. End of that thought for now. I also want to say that I really do think that while there's just a profound amount of suffering, and believe me, I grieve, I grieve, and it shows up in my content. I do have a very strong hope in me, and my hope is in wondering if the pressure cooker vibe that we're all feeling all the time so much is actually a cauldron, and that we're just cooking something up. I also briefly want to comment on this peculiar experience 
that I have been that I have been going through again uh, at a whole other level than I ever have before. Uh, that experiences essentially howling out into the empty abyss and uh, actually realizing that the abyss is full of people that are also howling at me in harmony and then on the notion of leaving with aliens i've just been thinking about how it's like if they did show up for us um there would be a whole shock factor to get over like as much as i'm ready to get the fuck out of here it's like if somebody was actually listening and came through and was like okay we came to pick you up you ready to go it would just be such an experience and that's very similar to uh to reaching out into the world and and throwing a beacon into the internet and having people respond to it and come want to participate and ask for more of it uh and so i just want to acknowledge that that is a thing uh that is a thing now nikki Aaliyah allowed us to include the song in the episode and i also reached out to damon grant to ask if i could use his cover with music from noah shack farlett and rabbi on background vocals I also reached out to Broken Blues Band to ask if I could use some of their cover. So I made a little mashup, but before we listen to it, after you listen to it, go to Nikki Aaliyah's YouTube. The link is down in the description of the episode. Give sis her clicks. We are all about cyber solidarity on the revolution. So you make sure you give sis her clicks and follow her social medias. I wanna plug some of my favorite black creators. First of all, Steven Hurst, a visual artist who's a Bay Area local, makes defiantly different, audaciously unique custom clocks for interior designers and anyone looking for unique art and gifts. He's a storyteller and a keen listener, and clocks are a mode in which he tells stories, and it's kind of an amazing form of art. He, he's very playful and wonderful, and I deeply enjoy him. And there's Ampafet Crafts by Carmen. Ampafet is Haitian Creole for imperfect. Carmen is also what I call a profile performer, which is a person that's created a unique brand using social media and connected with and uplifted at least some segment of community by doing so. Tiana J, who's been on multiple episodes of Good Morning Mayberry, is at DJTJC and at Retreat Yourselves on Instagram. And you can find a lot of just fun, encouraging, uplifting, day-to-day queer content there. Just good times. Nickelovit is a young black author whose book 21, A Story of Survival and Heartbreak Told in Essays and Poems is available on lulu.com. They create based on pop culture, black power, abuse and trauma, and where those things intersect on their own life. You can find everybody's contact information in the description of the show. And Boots Riley. He's in a music project called The Coup, and he made a movie called Sorry to Bother You. And if you don't know what those things are, you should look them up right after you go and give Nikki Aaliyah her clicks on YouTube. When you do go look up the song, make sure you go to Nikki Aaliyah, aka Aaliyah Sheffield's YouTube until she gets it up on all streaming platforms. The fame is coming so quickly she's still catching up to some things as of the recording and airing of this episode, but she will be on all streaming platforms very soon, and we are all looking forward to it. If you're currently listening to her on YouTube, uh, I saw somebody post a comment that they're tired of almost crashing their car trying to replay the song over and over again. You can make a playlist on YouTube and put just one song in it, and then you can loop a playlist. Uh, so, fucking stay safe. Don't crash your cars. You're welcome. And don't forget to go get your Cancel Culture Club fanny pack in the Good Morning Mayberry merch store. Now, without further ado, Nikki Aaliyah. is ghetto. I wanna leave. Can you be? Shirt on, so I'm easy to see. I've been down here. 
on Patreon and everyone who's bought our merchandise. Find the links to all that stuff and our social links on goodmorningmayberry.com. We've got closed captioned episodes on YouTube. Subscribe, listen, and rate us on all the podcast spots. If you're wondering who we are, we is me and my demons. And you can join the Legion by following our Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram, jumping on the Patreon, or just buying one of our shirts and wearing that around, drinking the tears of whoever you like the least uh, out of one of our mugs. And uh, coming back and checking out the next episode. I'm Shift. And always remember to never forget. Black women creators giving us ways to work through our shit broadly, to activate old cultural forms as technologies for liberation. There's a whole bunch of vibranium. There's a bunch of Black women creators who deserve to be acknowledged for laying those at our feet so powerfully in a time when we need them so desperately. Folks who are pushed to the margins 
due to gender identity or sexual identity or racial identity or what have you are showing us the tools. The question is, you know, what will we do with them? 